In just a moment, uh, or this week, we shared with you that today's family worship, and we're glad uh, to have our families with us. But I shared with you that I was going to maybe ask for two or three different uh, individuals or volunteers to maybe just stand in just a moment to maybe just give us a word of testimony. And so uh, I want you to be thinking of that uh, for what uh, maybe God has been uh, talking to you about. Just those announcements, you do get those announcements in our worship folder or in our, our, our weekly newsletter, so please be mindful uh, of that. I'm going to ask Alan Schaefer. Alan, uh, wherever you might be, there you are right here. Alan, if you'll come and take this for me. And uh, obviously, just want to remind you that we're streaming live, and, the, and so our cameras will uh, find you in the congregation here. But I'm going to maybe ask three individuals. I, don't, I didn't ask anybody specific, but maybe three people just to stand to their feet very quickly. And I've been asking this, these two questions. What has God been saying to you? And how have you chosen to respond? Those are the questions that we've been talking uh, about. And so there are three, and they're waving back there. Alan, are we back yonder here? So... It should be on. I think it's on. Is your is test, it, test. there? We go. Good. All right. Um, but are you know, there just maybe? I know we used to do this on Wednesday nights and, and kind of things. But I don't know if we we've ever done this on a Sunday morning. But I just felt impressed to do that. Would there be three people just to stand to your feet real quick, and we'll come to you with our mic. So three people just maybe to give us a quick word of testimony about what God uh, has been doing in your life. So here we go. Ready? Go. Three people. Ready? There's one. And we'll get two more to stand up real quick. So we know there's two, one in the back here. Hold on, Jerry. A third person, maybe over on this side. Okay, there we got one right there. And maybe maybe one more over on this side because we know that God is working over here as well. Anybody over on this side of the congregation? There's one way in the back. Okay, so Jerry, so uh, here we go. Help us. Well, as most of you know that I'm a police chaplain, and one of our requirements that is required of us is delivering death notifications to families, which I've had to do way too much lately. But I can tell you that working through the prayer with our Lord, I can't do anything. I can't say anything. I can't even hardly walk up to the door without our Lord being present. And he has been so faithful. Back here uh, in the middle. Well, I'm happy to stand up for Jesus today. As many of you know, Brian and I have had multitude of tests. Some of them is kind of scary, but I know that my Lord is watching over me. I know that when he calls me, I will be eager to go home to him, and I'm praying for his quick return. Good, good, good. Praise the Lord. All right. Yeah, I can tell everybody that, uh, especially the younger families, keep your children in church. That's the one thing that's got me through my life and to where I am right now. Uh, my life has turned around so much. I thank God that I found this church five years ago and came here Good. and uh, turned my life around amazing. And I, some of you know I have 29 stents in. I feel like I'm 40 years old right now. But, you know, so the good Lord's been really good to me and uh, helped me meet a lot of amazing people here. And... Uh, it's just amazing how I feel in my heart. Good. Good. Praise the Lord. All right. And then there's one more over here. 
I feel like something the Lord's laid on my heart is just to be more open to change and to uh, doing as uh, asked to be volunteered or to just be a part of the church community more. And I think that that's something we can all be a part of together. Good, good, Danae. Thank you very much. No, I'm not going to limit. I mean, we had those four, and they came pretty quickly. Would there be one, one more, one more, just anywhere, just one? I seen the Lord high and lifted up. Good, good. All right, good. All right. Well, these have been good, and, and periodically we may ask for for more. So thank you, Ellen. Appreciate that uh, this morning. So. As you're thinking, the question, again, comes back to what is the Lord saying to you and what are you doing in response? So, all right, Dave, or back there, if you can put my slot, my opening slide up there just so that we, it'll come up on my, uh, let's watch this bumper video. So we've been talking about praying our way to Pentecost. And while we've been doing that, today I want to talk to you about the power of a praying church. One of the reasons we talked about uh, the various testimonies is for this very reason. What is God, what is God speaking to you? Have you been taking time this last month? Have, and I know we're all busy, we've all got things to do, but have you been taking time to say, God, what is it that you want to say to me? And not just what do you want to say. Now, there's lots of things to pray for. We prayed for a lot of them this morning. But what is it that you want to say to me? And God, how are you asking me to respond? So I start with a couple of questions. Do you really believe in the power of prayer? Now, don't run by that question too quickly. Because I want, I want you to honestly answer. I'm not going to ask for raised hands, but I want you to honestly answer that question. Do you believe in the power of answered prayer? Or do we just sort of see it as an act of futility? Yes, God, I believe in you. I believe in prayer. I'll throw up my prayers. And God, however, we sort of, as an antidote, say, God, however you want to choose to, to answer that, that's fine with me. And, or do we really believe that it's a communication with God? Why do you think many people don't spend time in prayer? Oh, we could list maybe it's time and busy schedule. Oh, I get all that. But I think one major reason sometimes we, we, we fail to pray is that we sometimes don't see the correlation between when we pray and when God answers prayer. Sometimes when we pray, there's a long gap, and, and that sometimes is because of the will of God. But sometimes we say, God, we we, we'd like for you to answer prayer. And in fact, I was praying with someone this past week about a new job and a situation, and they've been waiting over and over and over again. And I said, you know, sometimes we can pray specifically according to God's will. And I said, God, you know the timing, you know the stress at work, you know all the various things that are going on. And so, um, God, we just need you to, to help us in, in, in finding that particular thing. And, and when I was talking to my sister about this, it happened to be my sister, and she was trying to figure those things out. And I said, God, you know exactly what's happening. So could, could prayer be more than just a laundry list of requests? Could it be the development of sweet communion, relationship, and intimacy with the Lord? Oswald Chambers said it this way, prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is 
the greater work. So what is the power of a praying church? Romans 12, 12 in the New International Version, I love this verse. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. If you don't have that written down or underlined, that would be a good verse to underline. John Wesley said it this way. He said, give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergy or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. For God does nothing but an answer to prayer. John Maxwell said it this way. God's hand moves when people and pastors pray together. Through prayer, God makes the impossible possible. Through prayer, God greatly multiplies our efforts. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, whenever God determines to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. So what happens? What happens when a church begins to pray? I'm a firm believer that most people have a desire to see the benefits of the potential when God's people begin to pray. I think a lot of people want to see the genuine experience of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we will operate into the potential of what that prayer and what God is wanting to do with a praying church. What would happen? What would happen if we truly believe that God wanted to do something and some things in response to how we're praying according to his will and seeking after him. Could we experience what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, when he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So it brings me to my text this morning, which is found in Acts chapter 12. So if you haven't turned there, that's where we're going to be this morning, Acts chapter 12. And the text is, there's a story there, but it's just this verse that I want to concentrate on. It's verse 5. It says this, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Father, this morning we have taken time to sing and to pray. We've taken time to hear stories and to share testimonies. God, this morning we pray that you would help us as a praying church to see, Lord, the power and the potential of when people take seriously what it means to pray for your will to be done. Would you help me, Lord, to communicate those words this morning? Would you help us to have receptive ears? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of background about this story. Obviously, the persecution of the early church had begun, and the church had begun to grow. They'd been scattered abroad, some landing in Antioch, and even then, large numbers of Gentiles were beginning to believe and began to come to the Lord. When Barnabas arrived, he sent by the church in Jerusalem, he found that there was truly a blessing of the Lord that had been bestowed upon these people. But interestingly now, in chapter 12, about the same time King Herod, which is the grandson of King Herod the Great, which you know is the story of Jesus when he was born, 
began persecuting some of the believers in the church. In fact, the scripture says that he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword, the scripture says. Seeing how this pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter, held him over the Passover celebration. He had Peter in prison, not only chained, but chained to prison guards and and to others that were standing outside taking their post. He wasn't taking any chances because he knew this had happened before in Acts chapter 5. And so it sets up our story and our text that says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So the question is, what is the power of a praying church? And the first thing is this, they believe that prayer is the first option, not the last resort. They believe that prayer is the first option, not the last resort. Now in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, as I've alluded to here a moment ago, King Herod had James killed by the sword, it says in Scripture. But why is that important? Why is that an important note for us to understand this morning? Well, we're 12 years, uh, commentators tell us, we're we're 12 years uh, past the crucifixion. And yet while there has been some persecution, the church and the scattering of the church, the church has continued to grow. The gospel message is now being spread to the Gentiles. So why is this little note about James so important to the Scripture story? He was the first apostle that was martyred. Stephen was the first Christian killed, but James was the first apostle that had been killed. But it implies that even though he was killed, there was, there's no, do you see what's not there? There's no mention of the church gathering for prayer. There's no mention of a spontaneous gathering together on his behalf. And one writer wrote, could the church have become complacent? Could it have been that they had seen God work in Acts chapter 5 when the apostles were let out of prison and and basically say, hey, God will act just as he's done before. But following Christ doesn't exempt us from suffering. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When was the last time you faced something where prayer was, was the first option, not the last resort? Well, the second point sort of goes along with the first It's this, that they took prayer seriously. Not only was prayer the first option as they began to pray for Peter, but they took prayer seriously. They realized that with the death of James, they couldn't count on just the automatic deliverance of God, but that also required a deep concern on their part. Verse 5 says it again, but while Peter was in prison, The church prayed very earnestly for him. You see, earnest prayer has has power not not to change the mind of a reluctant God somewhere. Instead, it demonstrates that our heart cares passionately about the things that God cares about. If I were to ask you to describe your prayer life, what words would you say? Would you say, well, it's, they're rather short and sometimes they're passionless and sometimes they're time-consuming or lethargic 
Or would you say, no, they're personal, they're authentic, they're heartfelt, and they're enthusiastic? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your Father in private, and then your Father who sees everything will reward you. John 15, 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You see, there are some characteristics about what it means to pray earnestly. They would remind us that there is a passion when we pray. Scripture says that they prayed very earnestly. There was an intensity. There was a desire for them. There was a passion in praying. Let me ask you, when you pray, is it basically, hey, I pray at the end of the, end of the day when I'm laying my head down on the pillow. I, I pray at the end of or before I eat. But is there a passion when you pray? But there was also a purpose. And that purpose was obviously that Peter had been arrested. And so there was, there was, a, there was something that had happened. And sometimes we, sometimes we don't wait or we wait until there's a major thing that happens. But there was passion and purpose, but they were also persistent because we know as the story unfolded, they were praying well into the night. Yes, sometimes it's not until there's a crisis are we reminded of the necessity of prayer. But you see, it takes discipline to establish a time of fervent prayer. Andy Stanley puts it this way, we don't drift into good directions. We discipline and prioritize ourselves there. It takes time, it takes dedication, it takes fortitude, it takes a decision to say, yes, I'm going to do this because I will guarantee you there are times in life when you will not feel like praying even happens to pastors. But I know that sometimes we have to say, God, even though I might not feel like praying today, Lord, I know that I want to keep that relationship. I want to keep those channels of communication open. So help me. So prayer is the first option, not the last resort. It, it, they take prayer seriously, but here's the third. They trusted in God's plan. You see, when we trust in God, there comes an assurance and rest in knowing that, yes, he is still in control. The hymn writer says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord." Peter had been imprisoned but did you read the scripture? It says that he was asleep. The night before his execution, he was chained in prison and it could not have been comfortable. And yet the scripture says that in the midst of those moments, he found rest. He was asleep. Fastened between two chains, between two soldiers, others stood guard. God was answering prayer even though we might not fully understand. And in the midst of that, Peter is in the midst of this crisis, is sleeping peacefully, obviously trusting God for his will to glorify himself, either in his death or either in his life. But that when the angel came, the scripture says it took Peter by surprise. 
What comes when we surrender our lives to God's will? It's what Peter, it's what Paul would later write in Philippians that says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. As I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or I die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. Look at Peter's response to the arrival of the angel. In fact, notice how the angel had to get Peter's attention. He said, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. Now, Peter's still asleep here. And the angel struck him on the side. I don't know if he had some something there or, hey, get up. In essence, it says, hey, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. And then the angel, I, I love this passage. And then the angel said, look, get dressed, put on your sandals. Now put on your coat. <laughs> now follow me, the angel reordered. Don't you just love how specific scripture is? And yet, just as they were just as there was an urgency for the fervency of prayer, there was also an urgency for the answer to prayer. Quick, get up. Prayer was being offered to God for him by the church, but Peter was kept in prison, but the church was free to pray. And when every other gate is shut and locked, the gates to heaven are still wide open. We take advantage of, of that gate through prayer. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Well, here's the last. What's the power of a praying church? Well, they believe that prayer was the first option, not the last resort. They took prayer seriously. They trusted in God's plan. And here's the last. They believed in the power of intercessory prayer. We've already seen the church has gathered to pray. But notice that their prayers extended for however long it was needed. They were praying well into the night. I would say it this way. Don't live beneath your potential. They were praying earnestly, but did they expect God to answer their prayers? Now, this is one of the most interesting moments in this story, if you've read it already. It, it, it beautifully articulates human nature, but almost has a comical sense to it. Verse 13 says, Peter's released. The church has been praying. They've gathered. It says he knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, hey, Peter's standing at the door. Now, don't you love this response? We've been praying. We've been asking God to answer prayer. Hey, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind. We're going to go back and pray for the answer when all the time the answer was standing at the door knocking. 
He said when she insisted, they decided, well, it must be his angel. My point is this, and I'll say it again in just a few minutes. In prayer, when the opportunity knocks, open the door. In prayer, when the opportunity knocks, open the door. John Maxwell in Partners in Prayer reminds us about intercessory prayer. He says the act of praying or pleading with God on behalf of someone else is commonly called intercession. It is a selfless act and is considered by some people to be the highest form of prayer. Jesus was an intercessor. During the last hours before he was arrested and crucified, he spent time interceding for the disciples and the believers who had come after them, which includes you and I. In fact, in John 17, multiple places, he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who have get, you've given me, for they are yours. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as you, we are one. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. That's you and me. Father, just as you are in me and I, him in you. You know, anybody can be an intercessor. If you're a parent, you've probably prayed for your kids. If you're married, you've probably prayed for your spouse. There are some characteristics that he talks about, about an intercessor. First, there's an identification. People who feel called to intercede for someone have some kind of an identification with them. Maybe it's someone that they know or work with, or even in the instance of a tragedy like in Texas, there's an identification to say, I don't know how they feel, but boy, I've got kids, or I, I teach, or I, I know what the, I, I, there's no way I would know what to do or, or can even really empathize, but I can pray for them. I pause to say, Sometimes in our prayers, it's time to get up and do something, but we can pray for each other. There's also the sacrifice. Intercessors display a willingness to, to make sacrifices for the people for whom they pray. It's not easy for those intercessors in this story. They'd been there all night long, and they'd been praying, and they gave up sleep and probably their activities and had to rearrange some things. And and yet they said there was an essence and a passion to say, in this moment, I need to be a part of this. But there was also an authority that came. You see, willingness to sacrifice is the price of intercession, but with it comes the authority with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that you have power in Jesus' name? In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 10, I believe it is, there's an interesting Bible verse that talks about these were the names of the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples, and he talks to them about how God transferred onto them his authority to, to go out. And then it says, these are the names of the 12, or 12 apostles. In one word, in one verse, it goes from apostles to disciples or disciples to apostles. And that's just what he's saying is, I am giving you the authority through prayer. Sometimes we live so far below the potential that is available to us because we have bought into saying, oh, it's not important. There's nothing that happens. 
when I pray, I don't see the answers to this prayer. And we have bought into living so far below our potential. But we have much more authority in not Scott's name, not in Lake Home Church of the Nazarene, not even the Church of the Nazarene as a, as a whole. We have authority over these things in our world in the power of Jesus' name. How can I prove that? You go throughout Scripture and time and time again. People might not have known who Jesus was, but every time when Jesus came into the presence of the those who had been demon-possessed, those they knew. They knew exactly who Jesus was. Let's not live below our potential, but let's give God the chance to work in our lives. So, Richard Foster said it this way, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we're unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat, the closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed Christ. To pray is to change. That's a powerful statement. So the question is, is there real potential for a church through prayer? Be ready for the knock of opportunity for when God answers prayer, open the door. Aaron's going to come in a moment and begin to play the song that we're going to close with. But my question to us this morning is this. What happens when a church begins to pray? What happens when a church begins to pray? Well, there's a release of God's presence. Remember, it said in Scripture, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. When we begin to pray, we, we have the authority to come into God's presence. In fact, sometimes when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit takes those prayer requests we talked about last week and intercedes for us. When was the last time you prayed long enough to sense that you were in the presence of an almighty God? There's something sweet that begins to happen when a church begins to pray and it begins to release the, the presence of the Lord and we begin to understand exactly what God would have for each one of us. Here's the second thing that begins to happen. It's tied to the first. A spiritual awakening begins to happen. For Peter, he was asleep. In the midst of the crisis, he was asleep. But there came a moment when the angel of the Lord, the presence of God, came and it began to awaken something deep inside of him. And I wonder if there is a stirring, is there a stirring in a church that begins to pray? Is there a hunger and a passion that begins to say, I want to be a part of whatever God is doing. If it takes 10 days, like in the day of Pentecost, I'm willing to go the extra mile to be an intercessor, but I'm willing to allow God's presence to be released in my life because I want to be a part of some spiritual awakening that begins to happen when people pray. Here's the third. 
that every chain is broken. Oh, it would have been easy to have said, oh, we're bound and we can't do some things and we're not large or we don't have resources. But it began to happen that all of the chains began to fall off. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. We've talked about our Jericho walls. We've talked about those situations in our life to allow God to break those chains that maybe have bound individuals, churches, employment, places, things we've held on to since childhood, recent activities, things that we're experiencing, whatever it has been. My prayer in a praying church, as we pray for one another to begin to say, God, would you release your presence? Would you begin to allow a spiritual awakening to begin to happen? Would you begin to break those chains that have bound individuals and churches so that we could be that kind of a church that you could use? Here's the last one the doors would be opened. The doors would be opened. Oh, remember, Peter was there in the prison. And when all of that began to happen, the the gates that had been closed opened. Now there comes always a moment of faith in this process. Because as the church began to pray, the opportunity came. And when the opportunity came, did they respond accordingly? Sometimes human nature kicks in and says, oh, I'm not exactly sure that's what God wants me to do. But you know, there's an old phrase that we used to talk about. It talks about praying through on some things. Praying through so that we know that we know. I've related the story when I was called into the ministry and I called my dad. I said, Dad, how do you know when God is calling you into something like this? And he said, well, Scott, a couple of things. Number one, God doesn't play games when it's something serious. And number two, if you'll spend the time in prayer, you'll know when you know. I remember hanging up the phone thinking, well, that's just going to be great. I'm just going to know that I know. But that week, I took my time of taking my time to pray. I worked in, you've heard this story, I I worked in the cafeteria. I like, I'm not ashamed of it, I like French fries. Some people like other things, I like French fries. But I was going to take my lunches and fast my lunches and seek the Lord. Do you know how many times we had French fries that week? It was my job to cook the French fries. Here I am cooking French fries to say, I can't even have those because I'm giving them up for you, Lord. But I will tell you, there came a time later in that week when I read from Philippians 4, it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, present your requests before God and the peace of God which transforms all your will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. When the door of opportunity knocks through prayer, open it. You see, prayer was being made on Peter's behalf by the whole church. They prayed, but I close with this. There's a little word in verses 5 and 12, or mainly in verse 5, that were pivotal moments in this story. And in verse 5, it says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. Did you catch it? It's a little conjunction 
But all of this is happening, but the church prayed. The prayer was being made on Peter's behalf by the whole church. They prayed because the situation seemed irreversible, but the church prayed. The situation seemed hopeless, but the church prayed. It was almost an impossibility, but the church prayed. It was going to be unchangeable, but the church prayed. One person said, when you pray, watch what happens next and give God the glory. When the whole church came together to pray, what they began to experience was this, that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. This morning, we're going to close with that song. Oh, it's a song that we used to sing many years ago. But it's a song that I believe is for someone here this morning. That when a power, when the presence of God begins to, to fall and there's a spiritual awakening and people take seriously to what God is calling us to do, when the door of opportunity knocks through prayer, we want to be ready to open that door. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, today, thank you. It's a privilege to serve you. And God, may we be a part of something great that is happening. When we begin to say, God, would you, would you help us to be the kind of church that will do what you would ask us to do? For when the opportunity comes, may we open the door. God, you can do an awful lot of things. You can make a way where there seems to be no way. Help us today, Lord, to surrender to you, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this together.